this morning for your love, and we bring our love to you, Father God. We come together, and we decree to you, Father, that you, City Family Church, loves you. We honor you, Lord God. And, Father, we ask you, we invite your Holy Spirit here this morning. We ask you to open up our hearts to receive your word that will be preached Open up our ears so that we can hear what you're saying to us personally. We ask you to heal us, to send your word and heal us in the deepest parts of our being, Lord God. And Lord, we offer up our hearts, our praise, and we ask you for the faith of the Son of God to operate in us. So that as your word goes forth, it will find a place in our hearts And not only rest there, but be activated, Lord God, so that we can go out from this place and be a blessing to our families and our communities, Lord God. In Jesus' name, we thank you. We ask you to bless our pastor this morning. Anoint him. Use him, Lord, to say what it is you want us to hear individually, Lord God, and collectively. So thank you, Father, for hearing us and for answering us in Jesus' name. Have any of you ever found yourselves in a situation, in an environment where the activity of that environment was not necessarily bad, but the nature of the relationships in that environment were toxic? Have you ever been in a a, a (laughs) situation? Some people are like, yes, right now. Um, In a classroom, at work, in a family situation, in a, you know, friendship situation, and, you know, like I said, that maybe, you know, maybe the activity that you're doing is tolerable or fine or maybe even good, but you cannot enjoy it because the nature of the relationships are so tense that it just puts too much stress on you and it's just absolutely toxic. I had a, a, an occasion when I was first moved to Los Angeles. Uh, I got a job at a little production company. I was the lowest man on the totem pole. I, I absolutely knew my place. It was a production company, and it was full of writers. They were TV writers and film writers. And my job, essentially, was to make coffee for them so that they could stay awake to write screenplays. Um, I also had the the important task of going to Trader Joe's and making sure that all of our cupboards were stocked in our office. Uh, I had the job of making sure that all cables were wrapped up whenever there was a, you know, a shoot or anything like that. I mean, I was the lowest guy on the totem pole. Um, what I, and, but that was fine with me. I didn't mind. I was learning a lot. What I, what I didn't, wasn't cognizant of at the very beginning was that there was a, a, a person, uh, a woman that worked there, and, and uh, I won't say her name, but it was, her name's Joan. Um, no, and uh, it really is. And uh, so, so Joan had been at the bottom of the totem pole for many years, okay? Um, Joan, in her younger days... And, and Joan has, has since deceased, so there's no chance that she's going to listen to this. And, and, uh, but but um, so Joan had, had, in her younger days, been a model. And she had run in sort of these kind of high circles, you know, uh, intellectual circles and artistic, creative types. And she was sort of a celebrated person. But as she got older, um, that was the only, that was her only gig, you know. I mean, it was her physical beauty. But, but, but as she got older, that uh, commodity was not as wanted. Um, 
And so she found herself working in this production company uh, in, in, in this role. And she had been there for a long time. And she was deeply resentful and bitter about the role that she was now playing in life. Um, Joan used to, uh, we used to see her, and, I, and I'm not exaggerating, she had a little bottle of vodka that she kept in her, in her desk that she would nip at just to kind of make the day more tolerable. Uh, every once in a while, uh, Joan, you'd, you'd walk by the bathroom and you'd see like a little curl, a little puff of smoke coming out from under the bathroom door. And Joan thought nobody knew that she was a closet smoker. And we're all like, okay, I mean, it's okay. But, you know. Um, and uh, the other thing is you'd walk by Joan's desk. And if you kind of walked behind her, you could see on her screen she had solitaire going. You know, click, click. And then you, if you walk by, it's like, oh, the screen, screen went blank. Like, oh, I'm just working here, just typing away, you know. But, but Joan, so the thing, the, the thing about Joan was that when I came, I became, I came in under Joan, okay? So all of this anger, all of this resentment, all of this bitterness, all of this animosity that she had been bottling up towards the world for, you know, the last 20 years, she found... She found a recipient for all of that. And uh, I just remembered, like, the most cutting remarks. I mean, I would just be, like, you know, happy to be there. Just got a job, stocking coffee, you know, making coffee, making... And then Joan would b- walk by and just a little jab, a little... A little. And, man, I mean, it got to the point where, like, I, I started having, like, uh, ideas about what I wanted to happen to Joan, okay? Um, <laughs> Uh, but it, it made this like kind of cool environment turn into this absolutely toxic, intolerable space. Okay, um, I want you to think just for a minute about the happiest period of your life. Like, what did just just think about? Reflect back, and maybe it's right now. But think back about like the time when you were happiest. There was, you know, just the most joy. Maybe you were in high school. Maybe you were a child. Maybe you were. In college, maybe you were, you know, just started your career. But, but think about that. Try to locate that in your mind, okay? And once you've located that in your mind, hold it. And also think about the most difficult, the most upsetting, the worst time in your life. The time when you were most unhappy, okay? And if you've got that, and you've got these two sort of periods in your mind, I would wager that the deciding factor... The number one deciding factor in both of those periods was the nature of the relationships in which you were involved in both of those times. In other words, your happiest time, I would be willing to wager, had much to do with the cohesiveness and the coherence and the sweetness of the relationships with which you were involved. And your most difficult time was also characterized by a strain or an upheaval or a disruption in a relationship. Because relationships are absolutely controlling on the way we proceed through life. I can say that, you know, without a doubt, besides the day that I became a Christian, which was the most important and happiest day of my life, the most important day of my life besides that was the day that I married my wife. Because it, it, it congealed everything that we had together. It was this moment where we knew we loved each other. We made that commitment. She walked down the aisle. I walked down the aisle. I'm like, all right, you can't get out now. And she's like, you can't get out. And I'm like, okay, so we're in. I mean, for me, that was the most beautiful day of my life. 
for me, the most difficult period of my life was the period of losing my, my father. Because what happened there was there was a person that I loved and the relationship was there. And that relationship was lost because he, he died. And so all of our best and worst days have to do with the nature of the relationships into which we enter. Okay? Paul in Ephesians, you know, we've been going through the book of Ephesians and we're still, we're still in it. We're, we're in chapter 4. Paul in Ephesians gets to this point at the end of chapter 4 where he basically, if, if, Paul had, if Paul had access to PowerPoint, I'm talking about the Apostle Paul, he would use bullet points. He would have written Ephesians 4.25 through 32 in bullet points, or at least I like to believe that he would. Um, bullet points, I'm all about them. If you ever get an email from me and it doesn't have bullet points, that means someone has taken over my computer. And, um, but, but Paul gives, he goes from making these long, run-on sentences that are full of abstractions, that are full of like this beautiful doctrine, this, this glowing, flowing language. And then he moves into the end of chapter 4 into like, here's some practical one, two, three, four, five steps. I mean, he, this is where he says, here's some steps. Here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to interact with other brothers and sisters. Here's how I want you to engage other people. Uh, and he just gives a list, and we're going to go through them today. So I'm calling this the six keys to solid relationships. And if you look at chapter 4, verses 25 to 32, you will absolutely see that he's just laying them out. One, two, three, like that. Um, and I want to say that the relationships that he's talking about Although it involves, you know, it does involve marital relationships. It's not exclusively about marital relationships, okay? It's about the way you treat other people in your church. It's about the way you treat your friends at school. It's about the way you treat your colleagues at work. It's the way you treat your family, your wife, your, your, your husband, your children, your kids, everybody. It's all about relationships. So I'm going to just go through, and, and we're going to have an, a slightly abbreviated sermon today if I can. I've got Jason Fry lent me his watch. And it's right here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to have a slightly abbreviated sermon because we're going we're gonna to get out today a little bit early and then we're going to go out and you can sign up for life groups. This actually ties in very, very well with life groups because life groups are all about how we treat each other in community and building community and connecting with one another. So um, let's just jump right in. So he starts at verse 25. He says in verse 25, you can just push that clear button. Uh, Don, right there, just clear the background. Okay, not that clear. There it is. All right. Um, okay. Uh, Dawn is doing an awesome job. She just joined the visu- uh, audiovisual team, and she's just killing it. So come on, Dawn. We love you. Um, all right. The first thing he says is, speak the truth. Uh, th- this is point number one, and here's what he says. He says, let each, of one, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. This little phrase tied together. He says, speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? For we are members one of another. Your translation may say, because we are one body. Okay. So let's dive into that just for a second. This is, this is more than just about, you know, hey, be honest, you know, tell the truth. His explanation for why we need to speak the truth is incredibly important. And let me give you this example. We bought a little fire pit at Home Depot. It's a little steel, you know, fire pit like this. I love this fire pit. 
because it means that I can burn things that I want to burn. And that makes me so happy, I can't quite express myself to you. It makes me feel like I'm camping. I will just find things. I will rummage around in the recycle and go, you know what? That could actually be burnt, you know. I have found things to burn that you wouldn't. uh, My wife's old wicker chairs, you should have seen the way those burned in my fire pit. They were fantastic. Um, My neighbor across, right next to us, they had one of those old latticework walls, you know, for vines. And they're like, yeah, we got to get rid of it. You know, I was like, hey, uh, I'll take it. Um, They're like, really? (laughs) Like, yes. And, you know, it's so old and brittle. Boom. Excellent kindling. But anyway, um, the thing about the fire pit. So you're out there. You've got the fire pit going. You burn stuff. Uh, My boys, I'm trying to instill a a joy of burning things in the fire pit. But they haven't gotten there yet. They want to go inside. Um, But anyway, so the thing about the fire pit is every once in a while, it's not that big. So if you're putting a larger object in there, like, you know, a, you know, a couch or something, um, um, pieces will fall out, okay? And uh, the other day, a little piece of, of my wife's blue wicker chair, one of the legs, had kind of burnt off, and so it fell out onto the ground, right? But it looked like only this end was smoldering, and it looked like this end was not hot, okay? So I thought, well, I'll just toss that back in. So I just reached down, and as I'm picking up the part that doesn't look hot, I realize it actually is very hot, right? So I just let it go. Here's what happened. And, I, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm not an expert, I'm, I'm not a scientist, but what I understand happened is that when I touched it, there are some nerve endings in the tips of my fingers. And those nerve endings send signals, you know, through these little, these little neurons, right? And they send these electromagnetic or, uh, waves or impulses, right? And they travel across the little synapses and they, they fire up the, the nerves here and they hit your spinal cord. And then they, they go up here and they hit your brain and they say, Brent just touched a very hot piece of wood. The brain says, tell Brent to let go of that piece of wood right now. And so it, the signal comes back down, and then I drop it, right? Now, if one of the nerves or one of those synapses or one of the neurons, right, was not telling the truth, okay, then I wouldn't get the right signal back. If one of those neurons said, hey, Brent just picked up a Twinkie, right, then the signal may come back. Tell Brent to eat that Twinkie, okay? So what Paul is saying is, we're all one body, and the body won't work if we're not being honest with each other, because the signals have to flow correctly to get the body to function right. So he's saying, you got to be honest with each other. you got to have candor. you got to have integrity with one another. Speak the truth, even when it's hard. Speak the truth especially when it's hard, because that's when you know that something needs to happen or something needs to adjust. And so Paul says, speak the truth because we are members of one body. We're members of one body. So that is point number one. If, you're, if, if the body is not telling the truth to each other, even by omission, I don't mean you're talking to have to have explicit lies, but you know, Somebody, you know, something's not right, something's not going right, and you just think, you know what, I don't want to touch it, I don't want to, I'm afraid of the conflict or whatever, right? Then something is going to go haywire, okay? Something's not going to work. So that's number one. Number two, he says, in verse 26, and this is right in a row, okay? This is why I'm saying his bullet points. He says, point two is control your anger, anger and resolve it swiftly. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun 
go down on your anger or on your wrath and give no opportunity to the devil. I love that he just tags on this little what kind of line there at the end. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. There's one translation that says, don't give a toehold to the devil. I love the image of that, you know, like the devil's just sticking his toe in there. Um, So what he's talking about here is this. Um, whenever we, what he's saying is, you, and, and this is not a command to get angry, by the way. That's sort of the translation is, it should, it, it, another translation would say, when you're angry, do not sin, okay? What he's saying here is, you know, there is a natural, absolute natural instinct to get angry at times. If someone has wronged you, or if you see something that hits you the wrong way, anger is a normal, absolutely regular part of life. But when we allow that anger to percolate, when we allow it to marinate, it actually gets hotter. Have you noticed that? I have gotten angry before. Somebody said something or did something to me. I'll get in the car, and by the time I've driven to where I'm going, I'm ten times madder than I was when I got into the car. Like the anger didn't subside in my car ride. It actually escalated because I'm ruminating on what it was that made me angry. Okay? I have a, a, a friend, a very good friend, and he and I were in a conversation. This is over three years ago now. We got in a conversation. This conversation went sideways. Something he said to me and something I said to him, it didn't quite, didn't quite gel, okay? I walked away from that conversation thinking, you know what, that guy's kind of a jerk. I actually am not that good friends with him anymore. I don't really like him, as a matter of fact. And as I thought about it more the next day, I liked him less and less. And then about a month later, I'm like, That guy is a total punk. I have no... And little did I know, same thing was happening for him over here. He's like, you know what, man? I really didn't appreciate the way he said... And so he's building this way, and I'm building this way. Now, we had had a few interactions during these times. And they were totally plastic. They were phony. They're like, hey, how you doing? Good. How's it going? Good. 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 All right. Hey, catch you later. And then, you know, it's like off. You're gone, right? There's no... There's no reality to the conversation because I'm harboring a grudge against him. He's harboring a grudge against me. Thankfully, we had a third party, a third friend, who is a better Christian than both of us. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and he uh, basically talk, told me that I need to go talk to him. And, he, and unbeknownst to me, he called him and said, you need to talk to him. And so we were, we were um, actually in Chicago. A whole group of us were in Chicago. And... Uh, we're all hanging around, a big group of guys, and we're all hanging around. And he and I kind of look at each other and go, want to take a walk? Yeah, okay. So we took a walk, and by the time we got around to about the second corner, we had ironed it out. Because I said, look, man, let, let me just tell you, and it all trace back to one conversation. The way you said this and what you said here and da-da-da. And then he said, well, you know what? The way you said this, and then I thought, and then I, well, and then we're like, oh, okay. And you know what? Some of it was misunderstanding, and then some of it wasn't. Some of it was just like disagreement. And, and so, but, but by the time we got around the, the block, we both said, okay, on the misunderstanding part, that's clear. On the disagreement part, that's fine. You're still my brother. I'm still your brother. Let's hammer it out. Let's be cool. And so he and I actually drew closer as a result of having this conversation. But what, what uh, Paul is saying is that when you, when you let this anger stew, you're giving, he says, the, the de- you know, don't give the devil a foothold. He's saying the evil, the evil and the darkness and the sort of 
anger that can build in that can cause you to sin. So the anger itself is not a sin. But that's why he limits it. He says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Because, and what he's saying is, put some boundaries on it. Okay? Because when the anger you know, goes beyond that and keeps going, you're liable to sin. You're liable to go do something wrong. In fact, Jesus, when he was talking in, in Matthew uh, 18, he said, if a brother has sinned against you, go to him alone and talk to him about it. Just you and that person alone. Go address it. And you know, if, it, if, if they don't repent, if they don't, you, you can't change that, right? But go and work it out. Don't let this grudge sit with you. Because what will happen is that will spill over into other relationships. I may be mad at Joan, and then I go kick the neighbor's dog, okay? So don't let what's going on over here spill over into other relationships. Got that? That's why I love the drafts in your email. You just write that email, and then just save it to drafts. Don't push the big send button in the top left. Just push the draft button, okay? Amen. Mark Twain says, anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. So that anger just sits there. Um, Okay, that's point number two. Thank you, Paul. Number three, work hard, he says, to be generous. Uh, Number 28 says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I was watching this week, I I, I don't know if you guys know this guy, but his name is Dave Ramsey. And he's, the, he's like on the radio and he's on TV and he's, he's like this guy who does financial, he helps people, you know, get their finances straight. And his, and his basic philosophy is not highly complex. It's like spend less than you make. That's the entirety of his philosophy. Um, but he, ta- he, he knows how to talk about it in ways that are compelling. And, and my wife and I are actually going into the more Dave Ramsey type of uh, budgeting of our own lives. And so anyway, it's... It, but check him out. But anyway, one of, one of his principles that he talks about, and it's highly biblical, is that everything in your life, every relationship, every possession, every, everything that you think you own is actually not yours for ownership purposes. It's yours for management. Okay? You are managing the gifts that God has given you. Your children are not your possessions. You do not have a possessory interest over your child. Your child is a gift from God for you to manage and to help and to raise, but, but they don't belong to you. Your spouse doesn't belong to you. Your friends don't belong to you. Your house doesn't belong to you. Your bank account doesn't belong. Like, we're managing the gifts that God has given us. And that's his basic principle, and that is absolutely liberating. You know, a, a child... And it, but it's liberating when you get it, but it's highly counterintuitive when you first hear it. Because from the time you are a little child, I, can, I have two toddlers. I can take a bottle cap and put it on the table in between the two toddlers. And they're both going to go, that's mine. I mean, it's a bottle cap, guys. There are millions of these, right? It doesn't matter what it is. They automatically want to take ownership of that thing. Because that's just built in, right? They want to, you know, here's a stick. You know, it's like. Mm, my stick. But, but you know, what, what Dave Ramsey is saying and what Paul is saying and, and what the Bible is saying over and over again is that this stuff that you have is yours to manage. That's why he says don't steal, work so that you will have money to share with those in need. Not so that you will be able to stockpile for yourself, but you will be able to, when the time arises, share with other people in need. 
Jesus gives this amazing parable. It's called the parable of the talents, and we've talked about it before. But in the parable of the talents, he tells this story. He says, I, he says that a, a man had uh, wealth, and he gave five bags of, of gold to one guy. He gave two bags of gold to another guy, and he gave one bag of gold to a third guy. And then he left on a faraway trip. And then in, and, and, and when he came back, the guy with five bags said, look, I, I put these five bags to work, and actually I have ten bags for you, ten bags of gold. And the, the one that's had two bags of gold, he said, I also put the money to work, and, and now I have four bags. I doubled, you know. And the one that has one bag, he says, you know what, I was kind of scared that, you know, I might lose what you gave me, so I dug a hole and I buried it. So here's your one dirty bag of gold back. You know, I just pulled it out of the ground. And Jesus says that the master tells the guy with one bag, give me that bag. I'm going to give it to the guy with ten. Because what I've done is I've given you, I've equipped you in your life with all the gifts that I've given you. And it's not your job to hide them or store them or tuck them away. It's your job to manage them and multiply them. Right? God has given you the gifts that you have. And he wants you to, that's why Paul says, let him work. Let him get to work. So they'll have something to share. So you can multiply and progress and expand the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Um, Number four. He says, build each other up with encouragement. This This is verse 29 through 30. So he's literally just ticking straight down. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Um, my little four-year-old has a book that's called How Full Is Your Bucket? It's by a guy named uh, Tom Rather. Tom Rather. Um, and the concept of the book is just a little kid's book. But the concept of the book is that this little kid wakes up and he's got this sort of imaginary bucket over his head. And he, you know, he spills the milk and, and it makes a little bit of water spill out of this bucket and then he drops something and it you know he stubs his toe and a little bit of water and so his little bucket is getting emptier and emptier and emptier and then a friend at school comes to him and says hey i like your shirt and it makes a little bit of water rise up in the bucket and then somebody else his mom he comes home and his mom gives him a hug and it makes a little water rise in the bucket you know so the concept is you know throughout the day there are things that are going to empty your bucket and then things are going to fill your bucket paul's saying fill each other's buckets Right? Don't let corrupt talk come out of your mouth. Don't be saying all kinds of bad things about yourself or about other people. Don't be denigrating other people. Don't be denigrating yourself. Don't be saying things that bring others down. Fill others' buckets. He says, stir one another up to good works. Let your conversation be yay and amen. You know, be an encouragement to other people. Right? Reach out to them. Tell them that, you know, empower them. Help them. Because I tell you, the other thing that happens to that, if you'll notice, when you do that, your bucket also gets filled up. I don't know how that works. That's spiritual. But when you encourage somebody else, you're encouraged. Right? When you bring somebody else down, you're brought down. It's a basic principle. This is boots on the ground stuff that Paul's talking about. And, um, and so he says, build one another up. Number five, uh, check your baggage on a different flight. I tried to figure out a really cool title for that one. But I think that gets it. Uh, he says, let all bitterness and, and uh, wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. 
along with all malice. All the stuff that you may carry around with you, bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, you know, chaos, madness, slander, talking bad about other people, put it away from you. I, I was on a trip when I was in college. I took a short little trip. I left my, I had, I had like a few months in between obligations. And I had, all I had in my possession was clothing. And so I was leaving, I was in Arizona at the time, and I was going to go over to Spain. And I, I really didn't have a plan, but my, that was my plan, to go to Spain. And then that was like it. I knew I was going to land in Madrid, and then we'll just see. But um, not wanting to, you know, put my clothes anywhere, I just decided, well, I'll just take them all with me, okay? So I had like a massive, huge, you know, suitcase with no wheels, and I had like a huge suit bag. I had three suits in that suit bag. I don't even have three suits today. I don't know what I was doing with three suits in college, but I thought I might need them in Madrid, apparently. And so I had that. I had a duffel bag. I had all this junk, and I got on the plane. I landed in Madrid, and, you know, not having considered where I was going to go, um, I'm like sort of wandering around the streets of Madrid looking for a hostel. And I've got all of this stuff. And within 20 minutes, my feet are tired, my back's tired, my arms are tired, I'm hot. You know, I don't, you know, I speak a little bit of Spanish, pero no mucho. And, um, and you know, so it's like, it's just not going that great, right? By about late afternoon, I saw a dumpster in a back alley. And I said, you know what's going to make this trip a lot better? Not having all of this stuff. I, there was one suit that I wish I still had, but someone in Madrid is wearing that suit today. Um, I threw it, I just threw it in the dumpster. I said, I can't, you know, and I was in, I ended up being over there for several weeks and was really glad because I, I basically just wore the same outfit, you know, you, you could just sw- swap every other day, you know, it's like all you have to do. But anyway, it just made it so much easier to get rid of all the stuff that I can't use, Right. And so Paul is saying all this stuff that you can't use, all of this stuff that's dragging you down, all of this stuff that's holding you back, put that away. Don't bring that into your relationship with other people. Don't bring that into your relationship with your spouse or with your friend or with your professor or with your boss. Don't bring all that. I I heard about a friend actually this week, a guy that I went to high school with, who apparently had been storing up some of his own bitterness um, and anger about some issues related to his job. And uh, I just found this out yesterday. But he, he apparently decided that it would be opportune to tell his boss about all of these things that he had been upset about over the last 10 years, including all the ways in which the boss wasn't doing her job correctly. Um, my friend is actually looking for a job now. So if any of you um, know of any openings, you know, don't bring that stuff with you because it's just going to damage what you got going. It's just going to damage the relationships that you're in, okay? Um, finally, and this is it, and we're going to dismiss. Forgive and remember. We're used to the phrase forgive and forget, but I want to say forgive and remember, and here's why. Paul says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. He's saying, I want you to remember how Christ forgave you, and with that same level of forgiveness, forgive others, right? If you are not forgiving other people, you are not remembering the times that you have needed forgiveness yourself. If you are holding and harboring unforgiveness in your heart, it's because you are woefully unaware of the massive forgiveness that you have required in the past. 
And so he says, be cognizant, remember how much Christ forgave you, and with that, forgive other people. I like that he puts this at the end, because he's giving a list of things that he wants you to do, and his assumption is, you're going to mess those up, right? All of us are going to mess those up. You're not always going to be honest. You are sometimes going to not control your anger. You're sometimes not going to let go of baggage. You're sometimes not going to be generous with the, with the things that you've gained, right? And so then he puts forgiveness at the end because he says, I want you in community to make sure that when, all, when somebody fails at these other requirements that I'm telling you to do, you need to be able to forgive them because you've failed at them too. Amen? C.S. Lewis says, and I'm closing with this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Time is short. God is good. Let's try to love someone today. Amen? Let's all stand together. Is Paul good or what? Can the guy tell it like it is? Praise God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this very practical, hands-on instruction about how we are to treat one another in the body of Christ and how we are to treat others that are not in the body of Christ, how we are to treat our neighbors, how we're to treat our colleagues, how we're to treat our friends, how we are to treat our professors, our family, our children, our wives, our husbands, boyfriends, girlfriends, how we are to treat one another, God, because we are one body. We are one body working together. God, we ask today that you give us the strength to do that. Help us to forgive those who need forgiving. Help us to be honest and candid with those that we need to talk with. Help us, Lord, to just be cohesive. Help us to have a loving, generous, open heart with one another today. Especially as we launch life groups, God, and we live deeper and form deeper intimacy and community together. We ask you, Lord, to help us to remember this passage and to live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.